Welcome to the Fried Hartman Leadership Podcast from the Center for Excellence in Spiritual Leadership, the podcast dedicated to developing and encouraging spiritual leaders for the kingdom. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 5, and this is your host, Josh Ketchum, and I'm thankful that you're joining me today. Uh, today, I'm going to be doing an episode where I'm going to talk about something that I think we often don't discuss in uh, leadership and church leadership, and that is meetings. Before I do that, though, let me say that I'm thankful you're listening to the FHU Leadership Podcast, and I want to encourage you to rate or review our podcast through the various um, means online, and also that helps us with our um, getting the word out. And also, let me encourage you to share our podcast with others. That will help in spreading this podcast, and we appreciate that if you find it helpful and valuable to your leadership. So in our podcast today, I want us to think about what makes effective meetings. And in thinking about church leadership, I'm primarily going to think about what makes effective shepherding or elders meetings. And we think about elders meetings, probably you're already thinking, I'd like to turn this off. I mean, elders meetings often have a negative connotation, uh, whether it is uh, because of the length of their time, maybe it's because we believe they're ineffective, or it is because we think of them as being repetitive and just going over the same thing and never really getting much done. In fact, meetings in general, whether it's meetings at work, whether it's a church meeting, often has a negative connotation because we don't feel like meetings are very productive. And so I want to talk about having very effective and productive meetings. Now, I would begin by saying that I think a shift in our attitude should come as we think about elders' meetings whether we're talking about deacons' meetings, elders' meetings, or, or staff meetings, that we must see them as a part of our work of leading the church. And so we think about shepherding in the role of elders as shepherds. They have that role to, to visit people, to counsel people, to study the Bible with people. But there's also the collective eldership where the authority is found within the eldership. And that's that must come together through meetings or them working together. And so their role of planning the vision for the church, their role of discussing the uh, work of the church currently and the future work of the church, discussing and doing soul care with one another for the members of the church, praying for the members of the church, all of that can be done in meetings, and that is very much a part of their work of shepherding. So I think we first need to begin by saying that, that the work of meetings is a part of the work of shepherding. It's not just like we're doing shepherding out in the hospitals or uh, in the homes. We're, we're doing shepherding when we meet together and when we're planning and working with the vision of the church. So we think about what makes effective at elders' meetings. I want to begin by saying that I have kind of uh, some suggestions on first how we can organize our meetings. Now, when we think about organizing our meetings, I suggest there should be generally four types of meetings. The first uh, type of meeting I would call like the developmental or vision retreat. And in this type of retreat, I would suggest that it's uh, done one time a year, typically in the fall of the year, to plan the next year's activities. It is, you can, you know, some congregations go away to a retreat center or they, they um, go just on an evening, and they plan out the activities. They maybe have a theme. They look at what they want to do, the goals for the next year. Maybe the, the ministers, the elders, the deacons, maybe they even bring in a leadership speaker to speak and do some education there and, and vision planning. 
But there needs to be some time where you get together and say, where are we going as a congregation? What's our plan for the next three to five years? What are our goals for this next year? What ministries do we want to emphasize? I call this the, the vision planning retreat. And so this needs to happen, and, and it may take more than just one weekend, but this needs to happen as we think about planning for the future. Now, then I would break it down into, and, and this, may, this may be combined into one actual meeting, but there needs to be two key components here of our meetings. What I call the ministry meeting, and then there needs to be the pastoral meeting. And so what I mean by ministry meeting is we're thinking about where the church leadership meets to, first of all, review how they're doing at their goals. They've established these goals. They've established these desires. How are they doing at meeting those? And then there needs to be, in this ministry meeting, a focus on dealing with any issues or problems with the ministries that the church is, is, is seeking to carry out. And the way I would suggest going about this is at the beginning of the meeting, after the prayer and things, just kind of going around the room and saying, all right, what issues, what, what things do you need have that we need to bring up? And I'm not talking about just kind of going around what, saying, what do you have? I'm saying, you, and this can even be done before, but everybody says, what, what is it that you need to address? And then you real quickly, you real quickly, maybe on a whiteboard, you real quickly rank which issue is the most important? And so somebody says, well, I need to talk about this, uh, this problem we're having in the education ministry. Right? And then one says, well, a deacon came to me, and I need to give him an answer, so I need to talk about that. And so you real quickly rank, all right, guys, which of these things that have been brought out is most important? What's second? What's third? And then you work through that list in that number. All right, so this is the most important pressing thing we need to make sure. And so in this ministry meeting, we're thinking about what the ministries of our church, and we have that problem-solving time where we're dealing with those things, and then we have, after we have uh, solved those problems, we've, we've given answers to those, we seek then to make a to-do list. All right, how are we going to carry this out? What, who needs to know? Who are we going to tell? All right, so we're going to do this. Are you going to go back and communicate with that deacon about this? Yes, that's your job. Are you going to talk to, the, to the, um, this lady about this issue? You, you're going to carry this message out. Are you going to make the announcement to the church? All right, so we have that cascading message, that to-do list that comes out of it. That way it prevents us from then talking about the same thing in the next meeting. So in the ministry meeting then, and we are focused on the ministries of the church. At this meeting, we may need to, uh, to meet with some deacons. We may need to meet with with uh, a, a ministry coordinator. But the focus of this meeting is on the ministries of the church and making sure we're staying on target at meeting our goals. Now, we've got the vision retreat. We've got the ministry meeting. And then the third type meeting I would talk about is the pastoral meeting. Now, in this meeting, we give more attention uh, to our personal spiritual life. We can have a devotional together, a short devotional together that someone is prepared to give. But then we go around the room, and, and this rarely happens, but it's so important to happen. And that is we go around the room and we say, how are you really doing? And we, we allow one another to minister and to shepherd to one another. We look at our ministers and we say, how's your work going? How's your wife? How's your family? And we talk to them about their spiritual life. And we allow an intentional time and space for us to shepherd one another. You know, who shepherds the shepherds? Who takes care of ministering to one another? 
I've heard of, of meetings before where elders will have gotten out of the hospital or will have a serious issue going on in their family, a, a child getting divorced or their wife with breast cancer. And they come to that meeting and they, they have no space, no time where they feel like they can bring up that they need prayers, that they're carrying a burden. And so in this pastoral meeting, we begin with this concept of we want to check in on one another. We want to have prayer and time for one another. And, and this, is, this begins with soul care and shepherding for one another. And then the uh, next part of this meeting is we talk about our, our sheep, talk about the church. About who in our congregation do we need to care about their soul? Who do we need to go visit? Who do, a part of this could be card writing time, signing cards, sending cards to those who are maybe sick or spiritually being apathetic or uh, falling away from the church. Who do we need to have a Bible study with? Who is it that we need to target? So care and so watching. We're thinking about the souls of the church. And then we can, as we, as we wrap this meeting up, of course, we have some time in prayer. So now, once again, I'm suggesting two different categories of meetings here, and you may do these in separate times. You may have once a month where you have a ministry meeting and you put a time limit on that, about two and a half hours. And by the way, if we, it's amazing how when we set a time limit and if we have someone in charge of the meeting to kind of help us work through those issues, how we will often be much more effective in accomplishing our task. It's, it's like me with the sermon sometimes. If, I'm, if I know I've only got two or three hours to get this sermon done on before the weekend comes and I'm, I've got to to dig in there and finish that sermon. I can't go off chasing rabbits, studying other things, or get wrapped up in other topics that might just interest me. i got to focus in on getting this outline done, getting this sermon done. And the time restraints actually helps. And in our meetings, we'll find the same thing. And so we have this the ministry meeting where we, we focus in on that, and then we have the pastoral meeting. Now, however you, as a congregation, you divide this out, you may merge these together. So you have a ministry meeting with a pastoral meeting kind of together. But let me encourage you to be intentional about this. You see, what gets planned gets done. The issue is we've got to create an environment. We've got to create a space for these things to be brought forward. If we don't create an intentional space for us to talk about the souls of the church, if we don't take an intentional space for us to talk about our own personal lives and to be able to offer prayer and encouragement to one another, then that's not going to happen in our meetings. If we don't create an intentional space to provide devotional time or, or educational space for our, for our meetings, encouragement time, or if we don't have an intentional space to say, all right, at the end of this meeting, how are we, gonna, how are we going to carry this message out? All right, who's, who's got the to-do list? Who's gonna, what are we going to do to make this effective? You see, we need to plan it. And so we've got the ministry meeting, we've got the pastoral meeting, and then the fourth kind of meeting that I would suggest is a check-in meeting. Now, in a check-in meeting, these are what uh, are become necessary because of time pressure. All right, so you've got your standard meetings that you're having, and it, and, it, and it could be that you know you invite people for the pastoral meeting. If you have someone that's going to have a surgery or something, you invite them to come, and you're going to pray with them during that time. Ministry meeting, if you need to meet with a, a lead coordinator or a deacon, you're going to have them come and meet with them during that time. But these are the check-in meetings I call are like stand-up meetings. Like we've got an issue 
we just need to meet after church real quickly and decide this issue. Or we need to just make sure everybody's on board with this. We need to make, communicate this message. This can, these meetings can even be done through using technology like text, uh, which can be dangerous at times because we don't get emotions, we don't get feelings across through the text. But we can let one another know, all right, this is what's going on. Anybody have an issue with this? Things of that nature. We can, um, but I think they need to be at least 15 minutes or less, and they need to be as much as needed. Now, if you think about organizing our meeting structure like that, there can be a lot of value in that. Now, I want to move to, we talked about the types of meetings. So if you will, I know this is through audio, but if you will, just picture with me a tomato plant. Now, a tomato plant, you know you have the roots in the soil. You have the vine, which is coming up. And then you have, of course, the fruit of the tomatoes. But, of course, holding up that vine is what I would call the trellis or the, the structure that is there, the cage that is holding up and giving support to that vine. Now, I want to use that as an illustration. You picture that with me. And I want you to think about the, the trellis, the, the solid structure. Those are those different types of meetings, right? So that's the environment. That just gives a structure so that it can the other things can happen, right? If we don't plan or if we don't have that structure, if churches that are not meeting, they're not having time to plan and work on the vision, they're not having time for prayer, they're not having time for soul care. And so there needs to be a structure. There needs to be an environment that will then, that has breakdowns where we, st- where we stop and say, this is what we're doing during this part of the meeting. We have to have some organization to it. Maybe someone who's the coordinator of the meeting, maybe preparing uh, for the meeting, uh, with an agenda, things like that. There needs to be a structure. But the structure will not make the meeting successful. There's a lot of meetings that have structure, but they're incredibly boring and incredibly ineffective. So what makes the meeting effective? Well, let's go to the soil for a minute of the tomato plant. In the soil, I call this the fertile soil. And in the fertile soil, that these men involved in the meeting have to have some common grounds of fertile soil for this meeting to be effective. And the first thing I say is they have to have a unity of faith, unity of faith. There has to be a love of God, of Jesus, the church, of people, a, a common belief of doctrine and unity of doctrine. There has to be a trust. If trust is not there for one another, the meeting is not going to be effective. If there are meetings happening outside the meetings with political alliances trying to posture about how they're going to take positions within the meetings, it's a lack of trust. You see, there needs to be a trust for one another of, hey, I can share what's on my mind, and I trust them to receive that. I trust them to respect me, and I'm going to respect them. And we value one another. This is the soul of effective meetings. And then we have to have a respect for the unique talents and perspectives of the people in the meeting. So this is the foundation. There is faith, there is trust, and there is respect. And so you say, what makes effective meetings? Well, we've got to have a structure. We've got to have the right grounds, right? We all need to be united. And if there's not unity, then we need to work that out. We need to create trust. This is why when you add elders to the eldership, there needs to be an intentional vulnerability in building, bringing them up to speed with the trust. We need to trust those men, and we need to be open with one another to build that trust. And we don't need to treat them like, like they're second class, uh, but rather we need to foster a love for one another, respect for one another, and a trust for one another. And so if we're going to be effective in our meetings, 
We're going to have an environment. We're going to have a structure. We're going to have a fertile soil. But then that plant, that tomato plant that goes up, what makes that plant healthy? What makes it healthy? Well, it's got to have, you know, sun. It's got to have fertilizer. It's got to have water. It's got to have all these things. So what makes that plant healthy? What makes a meeting healthy? What makes that meeting be effective? Is there's got to be a conviction to the mission. Everybody in that room has to be convicted of what our goals are. Our goal is for the glory of God and the growth of His church. We have to love His church. We have to put His church above our own desires and our own thoughts and wishes, our own preferences, what's good, what's best for the church. And we're going to allow this plurality of men to help decide that. And so there needs to be a healthy plant that involves there's a conviction to the mission, there is open communication. We're going to go in here and we're going to believe that everyone in here is entitled to their open communication. They're entitled to their opinion. You know, groups are incredibly good at avoiding real problems. We can be really good at, at talking about everything else and not really getting to the real problems. The purpose of a meeting, as I understand it, the purpose of a meeting is to get to the best solution that will move the church forward and as quick of time as possible. We don't want to drag out the solution forever because oftentimes the, the best solution, the, we, we will often be paralyzed by seeking the perfect solution when what we need is a solution. And so we want to get the, the, the best possible solution we can get from the wisdom in the, of, of the people in the room at a timely, timely fashion that can move the church forward without being hindered in its growth. So the purpose of the meeting then is to get answers, to get solutions, to deal with problems. And so we have to have open communication. We trust one another. Sometimes this means we need to go around and say, all right, this is the issue we're dealing with. We're trying to solve this problem. We want to hear from everybody on there. Sometimes the, the coordinator needs to, to notice the men that may be kind of hiding back or, or not speaking and say, we would like to hear your thoughts on this. Everybody needs to be willing to share their own thoughts. I, um, and then it needs to be appropriate conflict, appropriate conflict. Patrick Lencioni, who does, does a lot with meetings and much of this material comes from some of his thoughts, has a conflict continuum where he puts on one side artificial harmony. That is, we just act like everything's all right and we just live in an artificial harmony. And then in, in that and on the other side, he puts personal attacks where it just a meeting uh, and conflict falls down into just uh, even maybe sometimes physical violence and name calling, just personal attacks against one another. Now, obviously, that's a destructive side. And the constructive side, if it goes too far, leads to the where it's just a artificial harmony. And so we want to go as far, as close as we can to what he calls the ideal conflict point. We want to stay as close to that in, in the constructive side, but we want to move as far away from that artificial harmony as possible. But we don't want to cross over into destructive personal attacks. And so we have to realize that we can disagree with each other on the issue without being disagreeable in our attitude, in our perspective toward the other person. We, we must not get into personalizing our attacks and our opinions toward one another. We have to keep the focus upon getting the best solution for the congregation. And so when we think about conflict, we're not going to get the best answer unless 
we are willing to have conflict. There must be appropriate conflict. Most of the time, most of the time, in a congregational setting with the whole congregation or with a group, the deacons or the elders, we can agree, an individual can agree and support a decision. Even if they disagree, if we feel like our concerns have been heard and respected. Most of the time, people just want to be validated. They want to be given a right to speak into an issue. They know that they're not always going to get their way. And so mature men understand that I'm going to, that I'm going to share my perspective, but I understand that, that my perspective may not carry the day. In fact, most of us realize that nobody's perspective is going to carry the day, that rather we're going to take bits and pieces of one another's and we're going to arrive upon the best solution that's arrived to by this group. But everybody needs to be heard. And so if the meeting is going to be effective, it's, if it's going to be a healthy plant, there must be a conviction to the mission. We are dedicated to the mission. We are going to have open communication with one another, and we're going to allow appropriate conflict. We're not going to be afraid of conflict, and we're not going to shut it down every time. There's a story that I'll tell quickly that is from uh, the Bay of Pigs invasion. And, of course, that went terribly historically. If you go back and think about Kennedy's administration and, and all the problems that came from the failed Bay of Pigs evasion. And I won't go into it all historically because the, the point is, is just an illustration about communication here and about dealing with conflict. But in this invasion, or after the invasion, they go to Camp David, and, and his predecessor was uh, President Eisenhower, who, of course, was the uh, supreme commander uh, during D-Day and in our European forces in World War II and also served as president. And so JFK called Eisenhower to Camp David. Even though they were on political, opposite political parties, Eisenhower was a key influencer for JFK, and he often relied upon some of his wisdom. So he called him to Camp David, and he was talking to him about this issue and about what went so wrong. And so President Eisenhower said... Tell me how you went about making this decision. Eisenhower thought it was it had all gone terribly and, and knew that it was it all went bad and disagreed with how it had gone down. And he said, Tell me how you went about making this decision. And, and President Kennedy said, Well, I brought in the and I, I don't remember all the key groups, but I brought in the CIA, I brought in the Joint Chief of Staffs, so I brought in all these different people, and I brought them all in individually and had them make their plan and their presentation. And I heard them out. And he heard these various groups who were involved in this come in and make their proposal. And then he made a decision based upon that and went with that what he thought was the best. And Eisenhower said, that's where you went wrong. You don't have them come in individually. You get them all at the table at the same time. You get all your key players at the same table, and you sit back and listen. And you let them debate. You let one of them present their proposal, and you let the other people shoot it apart and tell all the problems with it and all the strengths with it, and you let them present their proposal, and then you let the other side, once again, give constructive criticism to that, and, and, and you debate that. And he said, you hear this healthy debate, and then you use all of that as a group and yourself to come up with the best decision based upon all the plans because then you know the problems with those plans when they are subject to the other people's approval. And I would say that's such good advice for us in dealing with problems in the church. When we're dealing with the meeting, we've got to get all options on the table. 
And we're actually hindering the growth of the church if we don't welcome everybody to share their perspective. And we need to have open communication. So the healthy plant is a conviction of the mission, open communication, and appropriate conflict. I have materials on this. If you'd like for me to send you materials on this um, so that you can see this graphic and some of these things I'm talking about, if you're trying to write it all down or uh, trying to remember it and you're just listening in the car, just send me an email at jketchum at fhu.edu, and I will send you uh, this information in uh, electronic form. But then that's the plant. But what gets to the fruit? Like, what's the fruit? What is good about having actual strong meetings? And I will share a few things with you that I think the, the fruit of having a structure, having an organization, having fertile soil, and having this healthy plant, what is the end result? Well, the end result, I think, is growth of the church. Like, shepherding is done, a key aspect of how it is done as a collective eldership is through meetings. And if our meetings are ineffective, if they never get anything done, if they're a waste of time, then it hinders the growth of the church. And so the church can move forward because it stays focused on its vision. It gets the answers to its problems in a timely fashion. The church knows what the elders want, what they believe, and where they are leading them. They feel like there is a place for them to be watched over, cared for, and if they have concerns, they know they can bring those up to the elders. They can even meet with them if necessary, and there is a place for that to be dealt with. And so the, the church will grow. It will grow in strength, it will grow in number, and it will be focused on its work. And so I think growth of the church. I think, secondly, the fruit is a joy and growth of the elders. Like, they then have someone, they have one another to care about. And they will not have a bitterness or a burnout, a negativity associated with the office because of such poor meetings. One of the things that, that harms a lot of elders in doing their work and, and causes them a lot of frustration and sometimes burnout are ineffective meetings. And they get discouraged with meetings. And so because there's no structure to them, because they last a long time, because they are repetitive, because of these problems we've talked about, they get discouraged. And so if we have successful meetings, we can have the joy and growth of the individual elders. And then I think there's a respect from the church. I think the church knows that they're taking this work seriously. They're organized. Uh, they have a plan. They have a purpose. They're staying focused on that plan. They're reviewing that plan. They have goals. They have a structure. Uh, they're open in their communication. Like, the church knows. In fact, if there's a split or if there's a d division within the eldership, you can often just always assume that that same split is going to be there in the church. In other words, the, the eldership is representing the church, and the church follows its leaders. They want to follow their leaders. And so when they see that the elders are caring about these things, they see that good is coming from them, then there is a respect garnered from the church. And finally, I think the fruit of this is uh, future elders are produced. I think that it, there's not so much negativity around the eldership, and I think more men are willing to serve as elders because they feel like, all right, there's a, there's a method to this. There's a, there's a practice to this, and there's a respect for one another. I think it's, it's a, even a good practice at times when, when you're seeking to train and mentor men to be future elders, that as you can, allow them to set in on the eldership, allow them to set in on some meetings, 
and witness the love that's shared there, witness the, the practice that's shared there, and allow them to gain that experience. And so I think it encourages future elders in the work. So we, we've talked about different types of meetings. And uh, one of the last questions I want to address, and then we'll close, and I just want to review, we've talked about there's been, there should be vision meetings, there should be ministry meetings, pastoral meetings, check-in meetings. We talked about the soul that has to be there of faith, trust, and respect. We talked about the healthy plant that's going to make those meetings healthy is a conviction to the mission, open communication, and appropriate conflict. And finally, the fruit is the growth of the church, the joy and growth of the elders, respect from the church, and future elders produced. One of the questions that, that I often get asked when I present some of this material is, well, should ministers meet with elders? And, and real quickly, I want to say that I, th- I, I believe, obviously, there's times when the ministers are, are not going to be able to or should not meet with the elders when they need to talk about certain things that may be of a private way that only the eldership should be involved in. So I certainly think there's going to be times when ministers are not going to be involved. But I would encourage, I would encourage that for the most part that ministers uh, should be allowed to meet and encouraged to meet with the shepherds, with the elders, because close communication and working together is essential for elders and ministers. It, that the growth of the church is going to be connected in many ways to the working relationship between the shepherds and the ministers. And they're functioning as a leadership team. As I understand it, the shepherds, the elders set the vision, the direction of the church. They have that responsibility given by God to say, this is where we're going. This is what we're going to do. This is our focus. But the person who is going to be casting that vision, the person who's going to be publicly proclaiming that vision and doing the most to tell stories and and illustrate and and help carry that vision out is the minister and ministers. And so to me, they they need to work side by side with them planning, with them ensuring the vision and and casting the vision, and then the the minister uh, preaching and teaching and and helping to uh, live out that vision. And so they need to be working together. Also, I would say that this allows time, as I mentioned with the soca, this allows time for the elders to shepherd the ministers and for the minister to see and understand why the elders make the decisions they make. So he's able to see their heart. He's able to see their love. He's able to understand them. And so when someone comes to them the next day and says, well, I can't believe the elders made that decision, he can speak, not divulging confidential matters, but he can speak about the heart of these men. And he could say, well, you may not understand why they made that decision, and and I don't agree with every decision they make, but I love these men. And I will assure you, every decision they made, they made with a desire to do what is best for the church. And they made that decision with humility, with love, and with faith. And he can speak encouragement honestly about these men, and he can believe in them because he's witnessed their work. He's seen them. And so I, I think that I think that it's very healthy and good. The ministers are employees of the church, and so there will be times when the elders need to meet without them. But the more we can work together as a team, the more effective the church can be. And so when we think about elders and ministers and and meetings, let me encourage you to think about this aspect of church work seriously. And maybe revamp your meetings and retool them and think about how can we be more organized? How can we 
I have a structure here that intentionally has times for us to be doing what we all know we need to be doing. I hope these things have been helpful. If I can help you further, uh, reach out to me uh, at Fried Harmon here. Uh, my email address is jketchum at fhu.edu. And once again, if you want any of these materials, I'll be glad to share that with you. Until next time, I'll look forward to having a, a guest with me in the other episodes and hope to be back with you uh, as well next week with another podcast. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode of the FHU Leadership Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fried Harmon Leadership Podcast. For more great content and to see the services the Center for Excellence in Spiritual Leadership offers your local congregation, please visit www.supportingspiritualleadership.com. Until next time, remember, God uses ordinary people to lead his people into extraordinary feats.